all kinds of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. I got out in 1989. We had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. And we are live on Skywatchers Radio on the Dark Matter Radio Network and, of course, PSN Radio. Welcome, everybody who's listening in on both networks. So excited to have you on here. Skywatchers Radio, what's our mission here, Alan? It is to seek out truth, life on this planet and no, others. No, that's, a, that's, that's, oh. a different, that's a different show. No, oh, it is to bring you the most, you the listeners, the most current and relevant news happenings in the world of ufology. To interview people of interest in ufology and together explore each individual story we are told. We're all searching for the truth. Every one of us, ladies and gentlemen, including myself and, yes, even Alan here, are all searching yes, for the truth. Yes, but unfortunately you didn't We're give all... me the cue cards to read with you. So no, I, no, I, I, no, but you, you played the... right into it because you said the wrong thing. That's what I wanted. Oh, thank you. Ah, see, you're my Andy Richter to my Conan O'Brien on oh, this okay. journey to truth on Skywatchers Radio. Guys, we're live, and we're, we have a heck of a great show for you tonight. Oh, <laughs> you're not I, kidding. I am so excited about this show. I'm, I'm, I've been, you know, like, uh, I've been literally, Alan, I've been like, having goosebumps all day just knowing that we're going to have Jose Escamilla and we're going to have Jesse Marcel III on the show tonight. Got How cool is that? I think that's really cool, but if that's all it takes to get you to have goosebumps, I can't wait to see and hear what's going to happen to you with next week's lineup. Exactly. It just gets better and better and better. In fact, speaking of next week's lineup, we have another epic show next week. We have none other than Paul Dale Roberts. Now, Paul Dale Roberts is a fortune investigator, and uh, he is one of the most knowledgeable individuals that you're ever going to hear, with, whether it was ufology, paranormal, like ghost hunting, uh, Ouija board. I mean, anything that has to do with the creepy and the bizarre. Paul Dale Roberts is usually right there. It's going to be awesome having him on. And we might have... Mr. Dennis Crenshaw join us from the Hollow Ooh. Earth Insider. Yes. I'm looking forward to that one. Dennis Crenshaw. Good, you know, one of my better friends on radio. I love Dennis. And the fact that he's coming back to radio is really, really cool. Hey, speaking of which, I want to give a quick shout-out to a couple of radio hosts who have put on just some excellent radio right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Right Tell off the us. bat. I think, I think it's only appropriate. Uh, Bill and Nancy Burns from Future Theater. Big shout-outs to them. Absolutely yes. Awesome Great. show. The last couple of shows. Oh man, Frank Fraschino this past uh, this past this past week. Awesome, awesome episode. So big shout outs to them. Also Capricorn Radio, with the host uh, James Swagger, who's on the network here on Dark Matter Radio Network, 
and uh, another great show. You haven't heard his show, have you, Alan? No, actually, I haven't. I was on the road at the time driving back from Indianapolis. Ooh, it was uh, cold. You have no idea. But it was really fun driving at night, clear skies, nice and nippy and brisk. Oh, it was a wonderful, wonderful way to drive. Although I had to stick my head out the window sometimes to see the beautiful view. Because, like the know. dog you are. Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> oh, you speaking know, of dogs, did you hear Brian's back? Yeah. Brian's you know not dead. Brian's not dead. It's not Skywatcher related, but it's pretty darn cool. They didn't. I'm a big fan of uh, Family Guy, so I'm happy they didn't kill off Brian. Just well, I mean, it's, it is Skywatcher related because they use time travel to bring him back. Ah, very cool. Very, oh, hopefully that's I can good. it for anybody who DVR'd it. Sorry. Ah, uh, that's what he does, people. But you know what's what really funny, though? I know someone who actually got a tattoo of Brian with Rip on it, uh, on his arm, and I'm like, dude, don't you feel stupid now? You know that guy? Because there's a picture <laughs> circulating with that picture. On it. Yeah, Don't tell I, me you really know that guy. Don't tell me you know that guy. His name is David, yeah. <laughs> David, why would you do that? Uh, you know they're going to bring him back. Well, he didn't know. I didn't know. It's like he he's a hardcore comic book geek. So, you know, I... I, I didn't see the I didn't see I didn't see the picture floating around, but I'm I, I assume it's him. Oh uh, man. Unless there's more than one person out there that put Brian on as a tattoo, as a rest in peace. The same way, you know, let me put one up for the homies and all that. Oh man, Jesus. If if there's more than one person that did that out there, I really feel sorry for your parents. I mean seriously. Why would you do that to your body? Anyway, moving on, we have a couple of uh, Skywatcher-like related news uh, reports here that Alan and I were digging through, which, which caught our attention. Uh, one, we're actually going to, we already posted the link on our on our Facebook, so if you guys want to check us out on Skywatcher, oh, is that the Facebook, space garbage? That's uh, the, the the mock commercial for beans. Oh, beans! Oh, oh, this is oh, so good! Oh my god, <laughs> this is such a good commercial. Check it out. Look, go to facebook.com forward slash Skywatchers Radio. Uh, we posted the link in there already. Get check out the video. Do it when we go to break so you can watch this really quick. Um, it's, or it's after the show. Seconds. Yeah, it's only but it's seconds. worth the 45 seconds. Oh, yeah. My God, this is funny. Um, Alan, you, you showed this to me, so why don't you uh, tell us what it's all about so that you can tease the audience a little bit. Um, it definitely has to do with uh, Jose Escamilla's uh, interview coming up later on today uh, on the show. Kind of. it's, it, it, it has to do with It has to do with the moon, and it has to do with what happens in space. Um, when you eat beans and you're in a spacesuit, I think that's I think that's enough of a teaser. That that's a pretty good teaser. That is a pretty good teaser. So again, and if you guys want to see that video later on tonight, check out facebookcom forward slash Skywatchers Radio, and that's our like page. Please like that page, won't you? Now, also, if, uh, if you guys want to join us here on the call, we are going to take uh, your calls tonight. Uh, the number is seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. You can also find us on Skype. If you type in PSN Radio, and soon our webmaster Keith Rowland and uh, the Dalai Lama of the network here will have another Skype account for you guys to call in through, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's coming, so we could have a Dark Matter Radio Network one also. But for now, PSN Radio, 786-245-8127 is the way to get to us. If you want to ask Jesse any questions, uh, please call in. He's willing to answer anything. I'm, and if you want to ask Jose Escamilla, I'm sure he'll answer anything you have also. These two gentlemen are... 
open books, man. You can ask him just about anything. But it's so cool to have them both on on the same show tonight. Well, hopefully everybody's listening show. about – hopefully everybody knows who we're talking about. You haven't even given a little brief teaser as to who each of these people are. When we say Jesse Marcel, we have to mention whether it's one, two, or three. Well, it's so, the third. It can't be the first or the second, unfortunately. You know, well, with you know, us. we got people that do ghost hunting on this uh, – that are on this thing. So Yeah, but we're uh, Skywatcher related. We're not doing that kind of topic – but they show. listen to our show too. We might have someone call in on our psychic hotline here and tell them they're talking to one of the other ones. By the way, west of the Rockies, seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. That's also hey, east of the Rockies. Did you know that's the same number that you said east of the Rockies? I'm just I, yeah, I understand that. I, okay. I know. Just but I'm just saying. I that's go with me here, man. Play along. Okay, fine. Good All job. Right. So Again, open lines if you want to ask Jesse uh, Marcel, who is the grandson of Jesse Marcel Sr. He's the son of Jesse Marcel Jr. And uh, I don't know how much uh, people who are listening in know about ufology, but if you don't know who those two gentlemen are, then you really need to start paying attention. Uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. is uh, one of the people that were at the recovery at the 1947 Roswell crash. He came out years later, and uh, because of him, People knew really what happened at Roswell. He he was one of the first people who came forward, if not the first person that really came forward and said, "Look, you were you were lied to. It was an alien spacecraft. Uh, there were bodies found. Uh, you know, it really happened the way that originally was reported. There is a cover up." And his son Jesse Marcel Jr., uh, the father of our guest tonight, Jesse Marcel III, he was a boy when all this happened, and he actually held some of the wreckage in his hands. Uh, in fact, the, he had a steel beam that for many years he showed on you know, interviews and stuff, uh, which was a replica of one of the, the, the pieces of wreckage that he held. So, it, uh, to me, it never got more credible than these two gentlemen. Why? Well, because of the backstory and the history of these men. They, I mean, we weren't talking about Joe Schmo or Joe Dirt or, or any other you know guy off the street. No, these two gentlemen were in the military, in the army. Uh, they were very highly decorated individuals. Uh, these were guys that fought in wars. Uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. would know the difference between a weather balloon and some identifiable craft that is not of this earth. Absolutely. He, these are critical that. people that are right. influential in the ufology arena, but also we must give credit to just Marcel senior for his service in the military just in general. Uh, since, uh, I know it's 10 days late, but don't forget, you know, December 7th was a day that lives in infamy. And, uh, Mm. that's when we jumped into that little war that was going on out there. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. No. And look, Jesse Marcel jr. He fought in the, uh, the Gulf war twice. Absolutely. You know, he was re-enlisted after 9-11. A lot of people don't know that. And this is a gentleman who was already, you know, older, and he still went back, and he served his country again. So we're talking about decorated individuals, people of, you know, highly moral characters. Uh, you know, these guys were the the real deal. Like, you know, for Men example. Men with caliber, and I don't mean ammunition. Exactly. Well, they had ammunition at one point in the war, I'm sure. But no, well, you're absolutely right. Men of caliber, you know, men like Dr. Edgar Mitchell, for example an astronaut who walked on the moon. You know, these are the kind of individuals that really are the ones you should listen to when you want to know what really is going on with ufology, what really is going on with the conspiracies and stuff. And uh, Jesse Marcel III is continuing in that legacy that his father and his grandfather uh, held. And uh, it's a fascinating individual. I mean, we talked to him before the show, and a uh, great guy, and uh, just uh, he has uh, his own unique take on everything, and a lot of the surprises that I think people are really going to be excited about that he's going to talk about tonight. So 
definitely looking forward to having him on. In fact, we're going to go to commercial break in a couple minutes to have Jesse Marcel III on with us. He is going to be our first guest tonight. And uh, after the hour, once uh, we're done, then we're going to go to break and we'll come back with Jose Escamilla for the second I'm hour. I'm excited for both of them. That's going to be so, so epic. Guys, keep listening to Skywatchers Radio. We're going to be back in a few minutes. Again, with our good lineup of Jesse Marcel Jr., Jesse, Jesse Marcel III, and Jose Escamilla. Just stick around. Okay, okay, here it is. Life Change T's Commitment to Excellence. Once again, Ronnie McMullen here, challenging you to a better lifestyle and health. On my radio show, I challenge people to think and act on good mental health, and this, in turn, promotes great physical health. Life Change T is a head start product to help aid your health and bring you your best life. And Life Change T doesn't taste like tea. It tastes great. So now, here's your holiday bonus. Buy now a one-month supply, and we'll give you two weeks for free. It's our holiday giveaway, and it's the best sale of the year. Lose weight and feel great this holiday season. So order now. Call 928-308-0408. Again, 928-308-0408. Or you can log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. Remember, we love love our customers and our customers love our tea get the tea.com Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 3374 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com 
Now Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Do your kids share a bedroom with a sibling? Is dorm room privacy a problem? Introducing Privacy Pop, a new way to create a private and comforting space on your bed. Privacy Pop is a bed tent that fits over twin, twin extra long, full, and queen beds. Privacy Pop is your ticket to seclusion in crowded sleeping quarters. Privacy Pop is the perfect holiday gift for the youngster who likes building forts and cramped college dorm rooms. Log on to privacypop.com and see how this unique sleeping system easily pops out from a small carrying case. Easy to store and simple to set up. Privacypop.com. That's privacypop.com. The perfect holiday gift for your grandchildren or your own kids who want a fun bed fort. Choose their favorite color. See this unique sleeping system now. Act now for a limited time offer. Use promo code RADIO in the checkout cart for free shipping. Log on to privacypop.com. Use promo code RADIO for free shipping. Without further ado, we are live with the guest of the evening, Mr. Jesse Marcel III. How are you doing, sir? Welcome to Skywatchers Radio. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be on your show. You have no idea how excited I am to have you on this show, man. I, I, let me tell you something. <laughs> I, I'm a big follower of uh, of your family, of your father and grandfather, and uh, they meant so much uh, to ufology and to America in general. I mean, these two gentlemen were amazing individuals, and uh, one of the, the guests that I always wanted to interview was your father, and I never got that chance. So to interview you, it's, it's an amazing pleasure on, on my end. It's an honor, really, to have you on the well, show I'm, here. I'm really sorry you didn't get a chance to interview my father. It, it, it would have it would have made a it would have made a huge difference in my life definitely. Uh, in fact, you know, let me ask you because uh, I recently saw part of the uh, the citizens uh, hearing uh, stuff that took place, uh, and you were, you were there. And I want to just jump right into this because I was uh, kind of uh, taken back uh, that you didn't really touch on what happened at Roswell with your grandfather much. You, you were really talking about him, the man, um, and that's really interesting because to me there are stories apart from the Roswell crash. Uh, is so interesting and so epic in its own na- in nature and everything they went through in their lives. Uh, tell us a little bit about them, who they were as individuals, uh, before even Roswell, uh, you know, before all that stuff happened. Well, you know, I can, I can kind of talk to you about my earliest memories with my grandfather and some, some really good memories. They're personal, they're not, not involving Roswell at all, just kind of what the man was like and and a, a way to a way to show it is we'd we'd spend our summers down in Roswell, or actually not down in Roswell, but down in Houma, Louisiana, where he resided with his wife, of course. Um, and every morning, about six thirty or so, he'd come get us up, rouse us up to go out and do some fishing. He had this this, this wonderful little rancher uh, that backed up to a bayou, and. Uh, even in the mornings down there, it's you know about six thirty seven in the morning. It was still eighty degrees, hundred percent humidity. It was, it was uh, this interesting experience. But we'd go out to his garage, and he'd reach up into the rafters, and he had a bunch of bamboo poles up there, and he'd pull them down, and then, uh, and you know, put a reel on it, open up some old rusty tackle boxes, and we'd uh, go ahead and get set up for the day. Usually the night before, he went out and got some worms or whatever we're using that for the next day, and. Uh, and he and I would walk out to the edge of the bayou and 
you know, he's, you know, wink and you got to look out, don't step on the, cause there's, there could be water moccasins and that kind of thing. There'd be in the grass. So you had to watch out for yourself. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how we started our day, you know, just a, a very uh, regular grandpa, grandson kind of relationship. Um, this guy, he lived, lived for football, LSU, of course, next door to him. And, uh, and just like I said, just a, a decent, regular guy. He, uh, the ex- example, the house he built, or not the house, but he, he bought this little rancher house on this bayou. And for his wife, Vio, he built this huge indoor greenhouse, matched the size of the house itself. Um, inside there, full of plants and everything else. But it just, like I said, back, back to the base, uh, just a, a very, uh, you're a basic guy, handyman, football, you know, weekend loving guy. And uh, just an all-around, just a, a really good, normal person. If, if Roswell never entered into his life, he, uh, he, like I said, he would have just been uh, somebody I would always, of course, very much respect. He, he wasn't one of these uh, gentlemen who would sit around and, and talk about, like, the incident. I mean, he probably never brought it up as you were a kid, right? Oh, no, we did. We talked, we, we talked about okay. it. Okay. But he was, it was more, he wasn't forthcoming. But if I have a couple of questions, got a question. Did he have to be poked and prodded to talk about it in the family, <laughs> or was he always out and about about it? Um, it was. It, it always had a time. We talked about a lot of things, and of course, Roswell was one of them. And it would typically start start off with something like, uh, you know, Grandpa. You know, I was talking to Dad the other night, and uh, you know, he had mentioned, you know, as a simple example. You know the the some of the crash debris, I beams, hologram like images, and we go and talk about that. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. And we, you know, kind of have a conversation and go from there. So, so we talked about a lot about it, actually, in quite some in quite detail over time. Oh really? So, so he did bring it up. Now it's weird because he spent a lot of time without even talking about this to nobody, and then one day he just opened up to the media and did that interview yeah. where he spoke about about it for the first time publicly. How did that come about? I mean, did he? Get coerced into into that? I mean, were they trying to get him to do it for a long time? Did he want to do it at all for a long time, or did he just decide one day, you know what, I want to open up? Oh, sure. It's a pretty good story behind that. He was one of those guys. He was he, he had a ham radio antenna in his backyard, mm. and he lived for talking to anybody. Not you know, social Russell, just anything. Just a uh, armchair, you know, like I said. Uh, uh, is it like that think, scene but... that we always see the guy sitting on the rocking chair? And, you know, <laughs> exactly. it, uh, uh, it's like I remember when <laughs> that maybe a mint julep in his hand, and he's on the radio talking to people around the world. He just loved it. Not you know, getting they, they'd send their cards around their their ID cards. Uh, I can't say exactly what the name of them are, but you know, for their different call letters for the ham systems, and he had friends all over the world, and it one of those people had had some interest in UFOs, and this was back in the early 70s, and he happened to mention to that person on his ham radio, hey, you know, I know a little bit about this. And so that was actually the first time he mentioned to any, anything about it to anybody after, you know, a good 20 years. Wow. And so then, that and kind then, of gave uh, him the courage to speak about it publicly then, I'm sure. Exactly. You know, like I said, he just, whoever he was talking to, he was just comfortable in, in, in conversing about, you know, whatever. They brought it up, and he was... He was at that point in his life, you know, in the 70s, you know, actually he was in the 70s back at that time, too. And he uh, just, I think, he, he, he felt at peace with uh, his life, what he had done. He, I mean, he did, he, he, in no question, he had uh, some fear of the story. 
he had, he had uh, you know, been told to stay away from it. But I guess at that point he decided that it was okay and if something was to happen from it, then something was going to happen from it. That was about it. So. Now, your father, uh, interestingly enough, he seemed like he was always more eager to talk about the story. Was he more into the subject uh, than, than your grandfather? You know, I don't know if he was more into it as much as he was just very accessible. Okay. I mean, he loved the story, no question. I mean, Roswell guided his personal life. He, you know, growing up in, uh, where we kind of grew up in rural Montana, and he built a big observatory in our backyard. In fact, the biggest state is a 12-inch reflector telescope, big silver dome. It was, it, we'd, it was a lot of fun. But he was, he, he was a doctor, and he was a doctor. But his real love was physics and astronomy. Mm. And he became a doctor. He was a fantastic doctor, nothing, no question about it. But his real heart lied in, you know, looking at the stars. And that was all from Roswell. It was all his experiences back when he was 11 years old. That was the whole thing. Now, how did he end up doing two tours of duty in, in the military? Now, of course, it was a medical duty, but how did he end up doing two tours? Well, his big thing is, you know, in, in brevity, he, he went into the Navy in San Diego to, through the program um, to become a doctor. Right. And he, he he worked in the military for, you know, 20-some-odd years, then, then pretty much retired, and then there was, back in Helen, Montana, where we're from, he uh, put together or was was offered uh, to become a helicopter pilot if he wanted to join an attack battalion, a helicopter pilot. He just fell in love with it. It was an adventure, so he went to that. And he did that for the next 15 years, I suppose. And he was 72, and he was looking at his life. He was like, what, what you know, and, and he, he and I had sat down and had this conversation a number of times. What is he most proud of in his life? And at the end of the day, it was a service to his country. Hmm. By and far, that said, if I want to be remembered, that's where I want to be remembered, is I served my country in the best that I could. And he was on the phone continuously, um, and he was a colonel at the time, um, trying to get a tour. And they, someone finally, they they finally broke free and and offered it to him. He jumped all over it. And he was the oldest colonel flight surgeon over in the war at the time. There's there's a very cool picture that I saw online uh, when your father passed that I was looking through, you know, just memorial stuff, and uh, it was him in front of a helicopter, and he was already, you know, this is the second time around, and uh, just that image, I was like, that's an American hero to me. That's a real hero. He he gave it us all. I mean, he was he he the, the that war really. Um, if there's anything, it, it really hurt him emotionally. And I'm not quite sure if it was... What's that? It it took a huge toll on him. It it, it really... He ended up by... He he went through some uh, uh, post-traumatic stress and horrible things. He had a... He ended up by getting a neuropathy in his legs. Couldn't... Had to to use a... You know, basically crutches to get around afterwards. And here's a guy that when he went out there, he jogged six miles a day, worked on a gym four times a week, and was at the height of fitness. And, you know, he's in his early 70s. And it really, really got to him. There's, you know, there's like if anything, it's there's some some pretty horrible things he saw when he was out there. Yeah. And, but, but the uh, fact no, that he, the fact that at that age that he went out there again, it's just amazing to me. Well, and one little interesting story is when he was out there, he was it was a little over a year. He um he was offered a brigadier general position, but he had to go back again, and he just couldn't do it. He just he said that it just it had taken enough out of him at that point that he decided to return home. 
But uh, so mm-hmm. that was quite an honor that they were going to do. It was, you know, the political pro- process of becoming a general is a is a, a process to it. And he would have stayed out there a little longer. And he just he, at that time he just wanted to go get, get back to his family. So he was burnt out by then. Yeah, well, burnt out. You know, like I said, I, I think I, he here's. I mean, here he was. He 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 went through you know active duty through the Korean War. Um, so he had seen a lot. He had he'd been through a lot. He'd actually he'd actually been on a carrier deck one time. Where he was talking about it, where he was standing with two buddies, and they got they they all got shot. And he got he was the only one left. Or they they all they all got knocked to the deck. Knocked to the deck. His friends were killed. And he just was lucky enough to have a bullet pass through him. But and you know that's a pretty strong event. But what some of the things he saw. Um, in Iraq, just really emotionally got to him, hmm. and yeah, and that's just and you know and, and, it, and it was you know I admired for him that he actually let it get to him. I think it was just, you know he was at an age where you know he, just, he was just, just felt a little more about what was going on, and and that really you know he he he, he thought he did all the good he could do out there, and he thought you know after that there wasn't really a lot of reason for him to be out there. I'm, I'm sure he had an interesting perspective, uh, you know, from his take from being out there himself at his age and seeing what was going on and everything he's been through in his life. I mean, I'm sure he had a hell of a perspective uh, to look back on it. Oh, he, yeah, he did. He he always, I mean, he was, you know, for country 100% no matter what was going on. He believed, he believed in what he was doing. Mm, um, yep. Of course, you know, as being in, in, in medicine, it is a little bit different in that he's out there to, in essence, save people. You right. know, he's going. To, he's trying to help people. So it, it, you know, you, it does come from a little bit different, you know, as far as the military perspective goes. But uh, like I did, it was a kind of funny experience with me. I remember, you know, here's my father, and I'm no, I'm no, I, I'm, I'm big for my family, and I'm five foot eight, and my my dad was like five foot six, and it was. I, I'll never forget one time walking out of base. Them, here's my dad. Never thought about his military career, and walked down the hallway, and all of a sudden. You know, colonel on deck, and boom, every hits the walls. It was, it was an interesting <laughs> experience. I didn't realize that 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 is the the level of you know. But what, what, anyway, it, it was an interesting experience. That, that and that was not long ago, maybe a decade ago, and where I realized, wow, you know. Here's the question. Kind of is a question that kind of respect uh, that he, that he did have uh, within his peers in the in the military? Uh, did he ever receive any like you know weirdness or negativity because of the Roswell incident? Uh, did that affect him at all uh, in his personal life or in his uh, career in the army or in the military? Yeah, you know, there there was a couple of people, and I think there's been a big change in ufology over the last maybe ten or fifteen years. But mm-hmm. ten or fifteen years ago, there were some people that were more. Hardcore, they'll you know. Let's ignore the facts. Let's ignore the story and try to hurt right. the person yep. saying it. And they made some stuff up. It was completely erroneous. There was no truth to any of it, and that hurt him. Now putting that aside, people embraced it. It's the same thing with with myself and my family and, and my you know my, who my dad was, my grandfather. Uh, that was I guess that was a little bit different story. But honestly, you know, out, out of you know. A hundred people that I might run into that might recognize my name, that recognize my name, uh, maybe one percent of them will come across a little bit negatively. But even the negativeness, it's more like, are you sure that couldn't have been something of, you know, the <laughs> the Germans, the Horton you said, you know, those kind of things. Never a personal attack, at least not to my face. Right. I, I think it's, it's because of, uh, I think it's because of your father's nature and his personality. I think he, he had such a, a passive, nice personality when whenever he did interviews that. Even if you were skeptical of the story, he he came across as very fatherly and very just humble and nice. You know, and that, that comes off. 
Well, exactly. I mean, he, he had earned his position. I mean, uh, yeah. a, a medical doctor, a colonel of the military, Correct, he yeah. did things right. And, and it's like he, he had no reason to, to you know, somehow exaggerate some story that he heard or was actually part of when he was a kid. There, there was no basis for that. And, you know, it, and it was a very big part of his personal life as far as, like I said, his, his, his true loves go. But, but like I said, I don't, you know, personally, especially, you know, in a small town in Helena, um, it was more embraced than anything else. Now, what are you currently working on uh, that is related to your father? I know you have a couple projects on the table. Um, do you want to talk about them a little bit and uh, and tell the audience uh, what you're working on? Yeah, I, well, I just I just finished publishing a book. Came out some about midsummer. Um, mm-hmm. It's called The Alien Crash at Roswell. You know, kind of an obvious name, but um, and it more <laughs> dealt with the the kind of the conspiracy side of of what happened. I have a have a, a good friend back in England who is a a page due and all she does research in world te- World War II technology and she helped me write it. And we just kind of went through the history of, you know, UFOs and, and sightings, that kind of thing, and with the Roswell and all the, all those kind of strange things that happened around it. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, good and bad things that happened because of it and, and with my grandfather. But, uh, that was that book. And I, I was lucky enough, uh, to meet Phil Coppins, who was one of the creators back of uh, Ancient Aliens. Yes, and yeah. we got together and did a documentary, same name as the book, and uh, it was a lot of fun working with him. And uh, you know, unfortunately, he, he passed away a little over a year later, a little less than mm-hmm. a year later. But a wonderful man, <laughs> incredibly intelligent. Um, so I was really blessed to have that chance. And I have those; those are out right now. Um, they're actually you can go to my website, jessiemarcel.com. But to my a project right now that I'm working on is called The Shadow Legacy. And it's another book, and it's more about all those things that surrounded the Roswell story as far as growing up in, you know, as a Marcel. You know, the interesting people we'd meet, the strange things that would happen. Um, I've, you know, some kind of, there's a few bizarre things happened. Um, all those real world things, you know, take, take the story of Roswell out of it. Just, 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 a, just some really strange things that happened. So that's, I'm doing that right now, and actually have it out as a Kickstarter project. And uh, one of the things I'm, I'm uh, where my heart's really close to right now is I'm working with uh, the Brazilian government, and we're working on putting up a or putting together a museum down there, uh, kind of like an international UFO museum. And that's kind of an exciting project. Wow, that's going to be cool. When when is that going to uh, start getting a little bit you of know, buzz out there? The the numbers are really high on it. it you know, it'll it. It'll it'll be probably be a good twenty four months. Ah. They, they've located a they've located a place where they want to put it that kind of thing. But the, so it, it's it's right now it's all in the planning stages, getting art. You know, part of where I my my position was the concept of it, and then the second part, of course, is trying to get together different relics and that kind of thing as for, as far as exhibits go. Well, That's with your involvement, are you going to be? Question: With your involvement, are you going to be relocating down there, or are you going to be no, commuting? No, or? no. I, you know, I'll go back and forth. I'm, I am. It, it, it's this an outgrowth of some other projects I have going on down there, and I, I probably will spend more time. But honestly, I've never been to Brazil before. I just happened to, you know, through the a chain of events, happen to meet some people that are up here and uh, start putting it together. But it's an exciting project. Just be careful with the water down there. That's all. I'm, I'm <laughs> be careful with the water. Well, I'm told a lot of things. I'm saying, you know, I. I the, the 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 Brazilian people in general seem like they're very friendly. They say, "But it's oh, dangerous. Yeah. Yep. Watch your back." And 
and Rio is not the safest place in the world, but uh, mm-hmm. the government's all for this. It's, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's something's going to happen. We're going through. There's a lot of negotiations going on right now. Just a, just a typical thing, but uh, I'm excited about it. It's a lot of fun. You know, and if, taking... if anybody else wants to come involved, they sure, they're sure welcome to contact me about it. Very cool. How can people get more information on uh, on what's going on there? You know, really, you can contact me directly. I don't okay. speak Portuguese, but okay. uh, it's inter- interesting. Interesting enough, my one of my partners is uh, a prince, and he actually grew up in Brazil and is now living in the United States. And he is my translator, and we work back and forth together. But uh, you know, if anybody's interested in it, just drop me an email, and I'll be happy to let them know what's going on. There you go. Check them out at jessemarcel.com also. Uh, Jesse, let me ask you a question. You know, you're dealing with uh, with the production here. Uh, you, you did the uh, Citizens uh, hearing. Um, you're familiar with Steve Bassett and, you know, disclosure movement and all that. Uh, you know, yes. your your personal take on, on ufology or ufology, do you think that we're getting to that point that we're going to have disclosure pretty soon? It's a difficult question. With the U.S. government... Probably not. <laughs> I don't really know. It's some some of these foreign governments, definitely, definitely. Um, a, a lot of like I, I just was talking about Brazil. They embrace sightings. They put up yeah. statues to sightings. You know, they they completely they almost believe it's an ex- a religious experience when they see something. That's true. Um, France is online. China is. Uh, Italy, all these countries. So it's it's really coming around. I I think we might be the last one on the block. To really go, you know, to to to, to go into that prose, but uh, you know, I think it's I think it will happen just because it's I think it's inevitable, you know, maybe not with this president or the next president, or maybe the president after that, but at some point, we're going to look ignorant for not, you know, embracing this. So hmm. I, you know, in, in that in that effect, I, I think it's going to happen. I think we'll be the last ones too, but uh, I think it will happen. I I I can't. I kind of came up with a different. I, I or different look at ufology than a lot do, and when it comes to this disclosure, and that, and it might be because of where I came from, where you know my living my grand grandfather and father and that kind of thing, and that yeah, you might have really a, bit, a, a bit of a different perspective there, <laughs> just a tad, yeah, <laughs> just a tad. It, 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 it's it's not it's it's not really that important for me for my government to say this or that about it. I think like, I believe it. as as a person to my core. I believe in life and the universe beyond Earth. I have no doubt about it. The, the only question exists, really, when it boils down to, is the technology there to traverse space? That's the only question. It, it, hmm. it has nothing to do with whether life exists or not. And so all of this hoopla that's made up, that's been made into, you know, these people that, you know, denigrating us, you know, ufologists and that kind of thing, I don't really understand it because they're really, actually, we're really, we're, we're really cutting hairs at this point. You know, was that a real UFO? Was that not? And, you know, and, okay, if, if you're willing to believe that we live in a universe with planets around stars, around, you know, and, and there's many galaxies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, can you honestly not believe there's life on some of those planets? So if there's not life on those planets, can you tell me that they are not at least advanced as we are, that we were capable of sending out a Voyager back in the 70s? I mean, come on. So it's it's one of those things. This comes down to, you know, like, like uh, it's not my idea, but, you know, ego. Right. Do you really believe we're it, you know? Right. And if you don't believe we're it, then all of this can fall into place. It depends where where do you want to stop believing. Do you believe that no, that we are the most advanced society there is, or do you believe and there's enough physics to explain or to prove that there's 
you know, there's obviously stars that are much older older than ours, planets existing that are much, much older than ours by, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of years. Do you believe that, are we are we smarter today than we were 100 years ago? Do we have more technology? You know, of course, yes, yes. And so, I mean, at what point do you believe that that would stop? Would would they want to explore? Well, I'd have to think they're like us. Of course we want to explore. We want to find out what's out there. I, I can't believe they wouldn't also. And so it really boils down to ufology. It's like, where do you start and where do you stop believing? Hmm. It's like, okay, well, I believe UFOs get here, but I don't believe in abductions. Right, right, okay. right, right. Well, if we went to another planet, if we get to that technological level where we can visit another planet, are we going to investigate the life there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah, on, you're crazy. Hold on, hold, on. hold on. My, my real question on that one is, is, are they there to explore or are they there to conquer? That's two totally different topics. That is, it, uh, is, it is, it, yeah. I, I believe in the, the the realm where, you know, more than likely that if you have the technology or if your race is, has made it to the planet without destroying itself, to traverse the heavens, to, to em, em, embrace the technology, to travel, um, interstellar, space, you're probably past that. Now, given that, well, well what if you are... Well, not necessarily so. Hold on. i, I got to object to that. Please, please. Most every single technological advancements that we've made in history has been due to war and being aggressive or defending, uh-huh. or defending ourselves. So taking that into play, if there's a civilization or two that's that much more advanced, did they advance because of their search for knowledge and expansion or because of their search for or need to make war and conquer? I, I would have to, and of course, just my opinion only, that it started out you know, probably through warring, you know, through technology, through trying to conquer their world or to become the leaders of it. Well, is there anything like I us, think, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and the, the next step was to use that same technology that started out, you know, with Goddard back in Roswell, you know, building the first <laughs> rocket, you know, building, building the original rockets, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, I, I think it's an evolution of that, but it's also... I'm also not so ignorant to believe, not, or not to believe, that there could be things out there that mean us harm. That we are nothing but, you know, it, it, you know, unimportant biological, you know, matter things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, just, we're unimportant and, biological dark matter. Just no, exactly. we're, we're a resource to be used. Is what exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean. So I, 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 you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think we can, we cannot completely ignore the idea that there are things that our planet might have that other planets might not, you know, or that you know their resources have been used up. It's you know it's been in the call of, you know. You know, my my theory, my theory on the whole thing has always been that if they meant this harm, they would have blown us out of existence a long time ago. If they meant us harm, I don't know about that. If there's a difference between meaning, uh, you know, if they meant us harm, and you know, that's why we've been warned not to go that far out into space. Maybe that's why maybe well, and have stopped. You know, you know, maybe I think the reason we've been told maybe not to go out deeper into space is because look how we handle our own planet here. We can't get along with each other as a human race, let alone travel space and bring our anger and our hatred to other worlds that are probably not nothing like us. I think well, that it, might be one of the reasons. Go ahead, Justin. around the around the tables of the citizen hearing after everything was over with, we had a lot of con- a lot of conversations about this sort of thing, and and one that came up is that it almost seems with what's happened, like in Great Falls, Montana, with what happened in Russia, with us losing control of some of our nuclear devices, um, mm-hmm. that they're almost there protecting us from ourselves in a way. 
in that, you know, keep, keeping us from being able to destroy ourselves. If some people believe that if there is in truth a, a, a nuclear-powered third world war, that they would actually step in and keep it from happening. But they have the technology to shut us down in an instant if they want to. And uh, so, I mean, that, that was just, that, that was actually, I, I, I'd have to say overwhelmingly, that was kind of what I took out of it. That's definitely a possibility. The only thing with that, to me, would be uh, where were they, you know, during Hitler's time or when we dropped the Mm -hmm. bomb, you know, when when Pearl Harbor happened. Uh, You know, there's been some major events in this world that uh, it's cost so many innocent lives uh, that you always wonder, well, it's it's like asking, you know, God will step in if it gets to, you know, this point and it gets this bad. But yet he has never stepped in before. You know, it's one of those things. Hang on one second. Here's an answer to that one. Where were they around Hitler's time? You got to understand, the first television broadcast that was major that really went out there was was Hitler himself. And, you know... So they didn't even hear about us. We weren't even a blip on their giant uh, radio antennas uh, and dishes well, out there until we started broadcasting and saying, no, hey, we're here. Not and necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> not necessarily. That's, you're, you're thinking linear if that's where you know, they found out about us. But let's say they've been around for the last 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 years, and somehow they back-engineered us from ape into Homo erectus, where we are now, you know, no. or Homo sapiens, you know, maybe they created us. You never know the the stories that have we've been told over the last two decades or three decades now from the Zachariah Sitchins of the world and and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, they they tell a quite interesting story of our origins on this planet. So let's say, for example, let's go with this. You know, like the movie Prometheus. Uh, let's go with mm-hmm. it for a second. Let's just say that they uh, did seed life on this planet. So they've been around here for forever before maybe we even were around this planet. Uh, so. You know that there's that. You're right. Well, I, I agree. It, it's uh, you know, and maybe, and you know that we didn't become interesting until the Second World War. To them, yeah, we we weren't advanced enough to even take a look at. But maybe. all of a sudden, when bombs start, a, a nuclear bomb went off. All of a sudden, That's the, exactly. they reached that level of technology. Let's go see what's going down down there, and then take a couple of ships <laughs> yeah. and, and snoop around because now it's getting interesting. You, you never know; they might have created yeah. us like the story goes to you know be slaves and mine for gold or whatever. And uh, they just left once they got their goods. They left and left us here, and we've created our society as we have uh, you know, to it is now. And then that bomb happened, and they were like, "Wait a second, our experiment is uh, going a little nutty down there. Let's take a look at what's going on on that planet Earth." And now we get all the sightings. You know, that thing that could be a possibility also. Yeah, but there's I, descriptions. I, I... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, please go ahead. Yeah, but I was going to say is, but there are descriptions even in prehistory with some of the original, you know, old texts from India and other parts of the world of, you know, describing nuclear bombs and things like that. So if we had it back then, maybe 10,000 years ago, and they've been visiting us even that far back, um, how do you explain that only now is when we're really, you know, seeing that much of a um, visitation, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, let me answer that real quick before we let Jesse uh, talk here about you know the, the point he wanted to make. Uh, I can answer that real simple. Uh, why now? Actually, why now the last hundred years? Because UFO sightings has been going around maybe for even longer than a hundred years 
in this country. Uh, right now, we are at a technological advancement with the computers and cell phones and everything. It's becoming easier to share this information with the rest of the world. But don't be, you know, don't be fooled. People have been seeing stuff in the sky since the twenties and thirties, probably even before. Oh, even that. well before, yeah, well Way before, before that. that. So, I mean, this is, the UFO sightings are, are nothing new. In fact, my theory has always been that most, if not all, of the mythology that we've had on this planet, like demons, uh, leprechauns, uh, ghosts, you know, all that stuff, or saints, and all, you know, anything that people have seen, angels, a lot of that might have been maybe misidentified aliens. So maybe somebody had an encounter with an alien, they, they didn't know how to explain it back then, and they, they said, it was a demon that attacked me in the middle of the night. When in reality, they were just getting abducted to be probed somewhere. You know, that could be a possibility. I mean, that has been my theory all along. Now, Jesse, uh, is, is that a, a, theory, a, a theory that has any water with, you know, with you at all? I would say so. I mean, I would, you know, just just from doing research, if you look at uh, some of the religious aspects a couple thousand years ago, things in the sky were considered more demonic. Right, Something exactly. Like Scared of something to fear, something to stay away from. Don't talk about it, right. you know, because you're, you're basically talking about the devil. And you know, I said going back that far anyway. That that was a that I really that really could have been why a lot of things weren't. Of course, you know, things aren't weren't able to communicate the way they are. Of course, mm-hmm. but it, but the, the religious, you know, the, the religious implications of of studying these things were, you know, there's dire consequences for it back then. And uh, I, I really think that they did a lot to squash. You know, if you saw it in the sky, you look away from it. That is something evil. You know, you don't. You know, what, who knows what the stories could have been? But, but, uh, and and today, I think we're you know obviously advanced enough to look at. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, it's also, I mean, people are more receptive. It, what's interesting about the way ufology is going right now, and that, um, I talk to a lot of people, and uh, with a lot of people, there's. Uh, People are wondering, well, people aren't as interested as they used to be. And I get that pulled out a lot. And I think, you know, you're wrong. It's not that they're not interested anymore. It's they believe in it. Mm-hmm. Is that when you get to the point where you're not, you don't, you're not trying to convince them that there are UFOs out there, once they, once they say, yeah, they are out there, they kind of move on. And I think that's what's going on right now is that humanity has embraced the idea we're not alone there. We are being visited. And that it's just, it's not such a hot topic or a controversial topic as it used to be. It's not like, you know, uh, it's, and it could be the new generations of, uh, you know, people going, growing up. My kids, for instance, they, you know, there isn't a cartoon that doesn't have some kind of alien life in it somewhere, some UFO <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it, it's just, it's become part of society. So not that it's, it's not interesting. It's just like, well, yeah, you know, actually, you don't have to prove anything to me anymore. I believe it. Yeah, there, there's things out there. I've seen things or I haven't seen things, but I know people have seen things. And I believe that they are out there, and uh, and even maybe with us. So I, I think that is the the big change, that paradigm change that's taken place in the last decade. In that uh, the people, people just the people believe. Now, how much do you think uh, that happened because of Hollywood and movies and uh, TV shows that dealt with the the subject and kind of put it out there? And you saw both spectrums: the good aliens, the bad aliens. You know, ET, for example. You know. Was a nice little creature from another planet. Uh, did, how much do you think that influenced society into accepting the whole phenomenon a little bit more? Definitely, you know, part, definitely had an impact on it, without question. Back in you know, from when I was a kid, when Star Wars came out to today, although it, I, I just it seems like the young younger generation, you know, me anyway, you know, people in their twenties and thirties, and even younger than that, are not so quick quick to be skeptical. 
you know, if, if anything, that old X-File, I want to believe idea. There's, there's a lot more positive. There's not, there's, there's a lot fewer people that want to spend all their energies trying to disprove something. They're more comfortable, like, you know, accepting that, yeah, we got to kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go forward blindly, like, like maybe the previous generations did. You know, that no, that's what you know, I was told. I read in the paper that it was fake, so it's fake. You know, I'm, that's it. The, the, the newer generations, they, they're, you know, like I said, embracing it, but they, they, they believe that yes, we are being visited. Yes, there's things flying around in our skies, and everybody that talks about it talks with excitement. You know, the people I'm around. But even like I, I, a, a quick story uh, back in oh, she would have been maybe seven years ago. I was uh, I worked I was I used to be a banker, um, kind of a bad word. Anyway, <laughs> we had this big meeting with a big title company. I mean, huge. All you know, the big executives and all the BS. Everybody was there. It was a huge meeting. Somebody in during this big you know it was a meeting for a title insurance company to sell the bank on using their title insurance. Anyway, somebody said oh, Jesse Marcel, Jesse Marcel. What? Wait a Where second. do I know that name from? Exactly. <laughs> and literally, our two-hour meeting. Started with that conversation, and not one bit of business was talked about after that. It not, everybody was like, "Did your grandpa really? Did he? You know, was it true?" I said, "Yeah." I mean, he believed everything he said, and literally, that was it. That not, no business took place that day. We had lunch. We everybody had a lot of fun, and it's all we talked about. And you know, half the people, you know, I saw something, or the other half was like, you know, my sister or my cousin, or and that's the way the, yeah, everybody. Yeah, and it was yeah. just, and, that, and that's just kind of how I I felt a lot about the story, at least at this point, and that, and that there was it was never skeptic, skeptical. It was all this, and then hey, you know, I saw something. What do you think? Could that have been something? I said, of course, it could have been. You know, you know, scary know. enough that that's happened to me at, at a job before. In fact, recently that happened to me. At, I was at a job, and I just met one of the owners for the first time. I had never met this guy, and he walks uh-huh. in and he starts talking to me, and this and and. Uh, the, the manager at the store knows about the radio shows that I do and stuff, and he told him, oh, he does radio. You should definitely talk to him about you know, doing something on the radio with him and maybe do a commercial or something. And he's like, really, you do radio? Can I see your you know, your radio podcast, or do you have a podcast? And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> so sure. I show him my website, PSN Radio, and, and I go, look, this is my show here, and I go to my show page, and he sees a little UFO on there, and he's like, oh, so you're into UFOs. And I'm like... That's the awkward part. Okay, I'm gonna have to explain sure. now. You know my show to him, and he starts asking me. You know, and he just busted out. He's like, you know, I had a, a sighting when I was a kid. My mother and I were walking, you know, and it was in South America, and they were walking down the street, and this ship just glowed in the sky. And he starts going through the whole story for like 20 minutes. He's going on and on about the story to the point that he started getting chills, and at one point he started getting teary-eyed because he's thinking about his mom and what happened, and and the fact that he had that sighting with his mother. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like I could do a whole mm-hmm. series. Just on his experience. And this is somebody who I didn't know. He had no idea what I did on radio. Didn't know that I spoke about UFOs or anything. And then he tells me I haven't really spoken to many people about that story because it's so personal. But I can't believe that you do a radio show. This is so cool. And he calls me every once in a while. I don't work there anymore, which is funny. But he calls me every once in a while. And we talk about the show. And he asks me, you know, who I'm interviewing. He's really into the subject. It does seem like more and more people are just, you know, they're believers. Uh, And I think it has to do a lot with not only Hollywood, but more people having the experiences themselves. Like, I, my and, life was changed when I had my sightings. That's when well, I, I became a fan it, of it. If you think about it, if you if you really talk to everybody you know, everybody knows somebody that believes right. they had an experience. Correct. It, yep. it, it, it's not like six degrees of separation. We're talking like one, two <laughs> one degrees of separation. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's funny. I saw something in the sky tonight on my way home with my mother 
that I've never that I couldn't really quite explain. We were driving real fast, so it might have been just something you know that could be explained. But even she even she saw it and she was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "I have no idea, but I'm driving and it's the highway and it's really packed. I don't want to crash, so let's not look at the <laughs> uh, let's not look at the sky anymore." Yeah, but it was really a, a weird object that we saw there. But you know, it, it there is there seems to be the veil dropping. Where more and more people mm-hmm. are witnessing these things, um, which is again, this is why I'm led to believe that we're going to have some kind of encounter, uh, you know, some kind of first contact or some kind of uh, disclosure uh, pretty soon. And I really hope it's in our lifetime. Like I know your father is not around to see it, your grandfather's not around to yeah. see it. I hope in our lifetime that we are around to see it and we could finally have that answer. Uh, so you know, we could say, you see, Jesse Marcel <laughs> Senior and Jesse Marcel Junior were on the money. They were telling yeah. the truth the whole time and. And uh, hopefully by then, you know, Roswell will, will come out and the truth will finally be revealed at what happened in Roswell, which I still believe that's a true event. I, I honestly do believe that that really happened um, the way Jesse Marcel Sr. said it happened. Honestly, Be, Being as close to it as I have been, and of course for my father, you know, absolutely. You know, and people can say, but well, you know, this record showed up here or there that might have said this. It's like, what, if you look at the premise from the government in the story, it's like, do you think that finding or, or a new release from a government official is going to really, you know, make everything go away. It's just, it, it's so obvious. They, there was so much work on the part of the government to try to make it look like something it wasn't. A picture of my grandfather holding the debris of a top secret project that we have. How, how often have you seen a top secret project on the front page of a newspaper? It do, you know, it doesn't happen. It's ridiculous right. to think. Why was that photo ever taken? It would, it would, it would have never been taken. It, it's, it's ridiculous to even think that that was, you know, it's like, why would, you know, the government was our top secret mogul balloon. It's like, you're going to show a picture to the world about it then? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, it, it's just, you know, the, at, at least at that, at that at, when you get to that end of it, it's like, it, it's laughable. But, uh, I mean, your grandfather must have been insulted, though, uh, to really insult his intelligence and, and take a picture of him uh, saying, well, this is what you recovered. It was a weather balloon, and you just mistook it for an alien spacecraft from another world. I mean, that's insulting to a man who's been in his position and, and would know the difference between a weather balloon and a spacecraft from another planet. I mean, he would know. I, I would assume. Yeah, he, has, I would he, has, he has a certificate, actually. A certificate showing he graduated from radar training school. You know what they <laughs> talked about in that radar training school? Mogul balloons and the Mogul project were part of it. You know, it's just like, how, how could he possibly... I mean, the whole thing is, you know, it's like, would you get, get some aluminum sticks or set some, some sticks of titanium, six balls, would throw them out in the desert and have... You know, twenty kids that are five years old going look at them. Is this metal or is this a piece of wood? Is, you know, it's like it, it gets to the point of of you know, just insanity. You know, it's so laughable. Like, it really is. And, and I, you know, and I do respect those people that look at it and really challenge it and question it. And well, this looks like this, looks like that. Maybe Jesse Marcel. You know, obviously I know I'm different. Is is you know as my father knew is is so. You know, it's easy for me to to look at it and look how laughable it is. If I'm on the outside of the story and I want to. You know, uh, either I'd rather challenge it, like maybe I want to believe it, but I really want to challenge it to make sure that it was real. And I respect that. They can go through everything. They can try to, but if you try to break it down to some document that might have meant this or could have meant that, or, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, you know, a new study comes out, they, you know, say, well, nobody has the, the right memory because it never happened. And it's, you know, it just, you know, you believe, believe what you want, but it's just because of where I've been. It's like, I, there is no reason to believe for me to believe that my grandfather would have told me, you know, some kind of big, outrageous, crazy lies. And the reason for my father to live a life based on the same crazy lies, he was part of it. 
you know, it affected to the point of, of you know, that was his love. I mean, it, the one, his, his dying wish was basically to have the government say, yes, something happened. And not that he hadn't met with officials in, within the government that admitted that, that it was really Roswell, but he wanted something, you know, irrefutable, a big, you know, a big release of information, and unfortunately it never happened. Not yet, anyway, so. Jesse, let me ask you, because there's actually something that, that came out a while back. They sort of decoded uh, General Remy's uh, memo, I don't know if you, if you mm-hmm. saw this, uh, where you could actually read along. And, and remember, the memo is in a, it's at a bad angle. You can't really read it well in the picture that it came out in. Uh, but when they decoded sure. it, they, they do mention the bodies, the crash of the ship, or the disc, uh, the crash that Roswell. I mean, all that is decoded into that memo. Um, th- yeah. what, what, were, what were your thoughts when you saw that and your father's thoughts when you saw that? And did it completely ring true to them? As this is exactly what happened. I'll I'll, I'll tell you this: it put a big smile on my father. <laughs> it was like a validation, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It put a big smile on his face, and it, it was a... it was basically so 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 to him, you know, whether it was absolutely a true message or not, or part of it, or they're interp- looking too much into it, while they're maybe they weren't at all. He he absolutely said, "Yeah, you know, this is true." There's, but like I said, it just put a big smile on his face. I remember when that first came out. That, yeah, that, that blew my mind. That blew my mind when I saw that. I was like, "See, there you go, <laughs> one step closer to getting the truth about what happened in Roswell." Well, if you boil it down, it's like I, I got, I, I did the, you know, I, I got those same photos, the kind of the famous ones, and had them colorized, used the latest technology and that kind of thing. And and I was, uh, my sister Denise, who's who's really deep in ufology herself, um, we had a chance to to, to to talk a little about it. She brought this point like where is Grandpa looking? He's holding this piece of debris, and he's not looking at the camera. He's looking off in the distance. It's like, what kind of picture is that? It, you know, it's almost one of those things that she picked up on. It's like, yeah, well, he's being told what to look or what to do when he's sitting there. And that, and that was obvious. That's what happened. Is he was, he was, he basically, he didn't realize what he was walking into at that point. And only once he was holding it, and, and he knew it was going to happen. He, he knew of an impending um, cover-up. But, but when he walked in there, it's like he, he was, you know, still in the back of his mind. I think he was hoping that, you know, they are really going to let people know what happened, that this is something amazing. And he was just like, he walks in there and goes, oh, no, that's not what's going to happen. So, you know, hold this, pose nicely. Like I said, just, it's interesting because like, he's, he's looking off in the distance, not in the camera, any of it. Like, so yeah, that like, that, you know, that picture always seemed really funny to me because you could tell he's, like, looking at somebody, like, saying, this is not what was out there. Like, that, like, I, 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 could, yeah, I look at his his facial expression is like, dude, this is not what I saw out there. Like, that's the, the picture that I get in my head of him saying. That's the dialogue I hear as he's taking that picture because that's the expression he looks like he's having. Well, if you look at it, it's just it's just funny. There's there's even some photographs in that same series where they have a package for a weather balloon in the picture. It's like, yeah. how many weather balloons <laughs> they set up with the packaging? You know, it, it just gets the point of being insane, you know, but that's just the, you know... This is part of it, but like, I, I, have, I, I honestly haven't run into anybody that believes in the weather balloon story or the mogul balloon. You know, well, like, the, the government doesn't believe it. They, they've changed it so many times. They don't believe the story themselves. No, well, <laughs> even even more at the end, you know, Charles Moore. Even at the end, you know, he met with my father one time, and he, you know, my father. His biggest thing was, you know, to get idiosyncrasies of the, of the material. And the, the, the material that my grandfather and father saw, the, the, the foil itself had no paper backing. But at the time of the Mogul project, the foil had paper backing. And all Charles Moore, all I could tell him was that, well, I don't know what you saw. But that later on, they released it. My dad said, oh, yes, it was a Mogul balloon, which is all fictitious, of course. But later on, Moore kind of eluded, 
you know, and I, I hope not to read too much into this, and I don't want to put any on the spot, but almost like, yeah, you know, <laughs> my, and everything might not have been as it was, uh, was said to be back then. So. <laughs> It's fascinating. Uh, Jesse, we're, we're all out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. We want to definitely have you back on uh, pretty soon. Uh, as soon as uh, you know you, you want to come back, we'd love to have you back on. We can do another hour easy talking to you. It's, it's been just a blast. Uh, give everybody the website address again, uh, jessemarcel.com, right? And anything else that they can find you on? Yeah, jessemarcel.com if they want to go there. And like I said, you, you, you put a nice banner on, on your, your site for me. That's wonderful. But jessemarcel.com has it all. Perfect. Excellent. Look him up. Uh, guys, we're going to be right back after the break with Jose Escamilla, and we're going to talk to him about the latest projects that he's working on. And, of course, he's world famous for the Roswell Rods. If you guys want to ask any questions, do it in chat or call in. PSN Radio on Skype or 786-245-8127. Jesse, so, thank you so much again for being here tonight. Really do appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll be right Enjoy back. Good night. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk stream live. Now available in the iTunes app store. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. Superman Homepage.com. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one of a kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, 
Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. All right, everybody, we're back right here live on Skywatchers Radio, right on the Dark Matter Radio Network, and, of course, live on PSN Radio. Anybody who wants to join in, please do so. We have the chat live on psn-radio.com. And if you want to call in, 786-245-8127, PSN Radio on Skype. Please also look us up on Facebook and like our page. It's really cool when you like our page on Facebook. Look up Skywatchers Radio. And... Please, again, like the page. Now, without any further ado, our second hour guest, Mr. Jose Escamilla, is on the line with us. He really doesn't need any introduction. This man is world famous. He's a filmmaker. He's also world-renowned and really, really well-known for the Roswell Rods phenomenon. Jose, my friend, thank you so much for being on this show once again. To be able to have you on is just a, a pleasure and an honor. And, uh, you know, you're one of the one of the good guys, my friend. So thank you so much for being here, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. It's 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 uh, uh, really good to be back with you guys, man. You know, it's been a while. It's been a minute. So, yeah, uh, you've been you've been busy too for the, like the the last uh, year or two since we last uh, had you on on one of the shows. Yeah, for the most part, I've been working on Roger Lear's new film. It'll be finished out probably in about a month, and um, it's it's a really cool project. It's called Gateway Radio Online. He has a website. It's uh, gatewayradioonline.com. Cool. That's Gateway, G-A-T-E-W-A-Y, and uh, gatewayradioonline.com. And you can see a trailer there of his film that I've been cutting for the last year, actually. We've been doing this since October of last year. Wow, that must be a long uh, trailer for a year to cut it. (laughs) Well, it was all, the film was all shot on green screen. Ah, ah. It was filmed at the theater, I mean, at the uh, studio where um, they did the Avatar. Uh, oh, so you're uh, you're wow. filming Star Wars Episode Seven then? <laughs> no. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Star Wars <laughs> Seven. <laughs> it, it, it's all going to be green screen. That's it. Pretty much. Well, no, well JJ actually is like, going a different direction on that, but go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It, it's been quite a quite a feat getting that one done. Um, you know, because I had to build the virtual sets, the virtual spacecraft interiors, uh, aliens, animations, all sorts of stuff, man, which I enjoyed because, you know, I'm learning the 3D program at the same time that I can apply to my movies. Right. So it, it was all it was all good work, and uh, we're nearly finishing it up, and uh, it'll be out, and, you know, we can have Roger on when uh, the film comes out, you know? Yep. That'll be cool. Yeah, it's... Sooner, you know. 
it, it's funny because I had sent Roger uh, a request to have him on the show a few days ago, actually, like maybe a week ago, and I hadn't heard back from him. And I was like, man, I hope he's doing okay. You know, and then I call you tonight, and you're like, oh, I got Roger Lear. I'm hanging out with him. We're we're cutting a movie together. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? That is so cool, man. Like this man hangs out with Dr. Roger Lear. Like. I wish I could hang out with Roger Lear and just casually work on a movie and just be like, um, we're all friends, pick man. his brain, you know? Like, that's a genius man right there. That's, that's, that's incredibly cool to me. Two cool men, two geniuses, you know, just sitting in a room, cutting a movie together. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, I've known Roger since 1994. 1994. I met him at the, at the very first uh, UFO conference, UFO uh, uh, Congress in the Mesquite, Nevada, and that's where I met Raj, and we've been friends ever since, you know, we're just really close, <clears throat> me and him and Jordan Maxwell hang out quite a bit, Jordan was just here a couple of days ago, and, um, you know, we just hang out, man, we're just regular bros, you know, when it comes down to it, just like you guys, you know. That's awesome, That's a, <laughs> to have Roger Lear as uh, one of your bros, that's really, really yeah. cool. That's, uh, that, that tops just about anybody on my friends list, let me tell you. I'm going to feel very depressed now for the rest of my, my night. <laughs> now, last time, last time we spoke, you were working on, on a personal project. Um, you know, how did that come along? It was, uh, of course, the Battle of L.A. Uh, you still working on that project? Is that I've finished? I've been working on that since uh, 2008. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been on that but project. I have pretty good news. Uh, <clears throat> I, I was in uh, New Jersey, uh, about a month ago, and I met an investor there that's got big pockets, man. He, he's he been funding a couple of other producers' films, <clears throat> and uh, he took an interest in Battle of Los Angeles, so uh, he verbally committed $1.5 for me to do the film. I just got to get the other side put together, and uh, I have a, co- a, a company out of Canada that did the X-Files. They're coming in with possible distribution deal and matching funds, so it may be that we'll have three million dollars to do the Battle of Los Angeles, first class, man. Nice. And because uh, I've been doing it out of pocket, you know, and just uh, on the cheap, and you can only do so much, you know, with a mm-hmm. computer. And yep. Especially me because I'm not really that great a uh, CGI artist, you know. I'm pretty good at making composites and a few things here and there, but man, you know, putting together visuals that are realistic. That's not my forte. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but now with this three million dollar budget, we'll be able to hire a company. Uh, I've got some guys that are out of the UK that uh, they are they used to work at ILM and at uh, Rhythm and Hughes, and uh, these guys are fantastic. They said they could do battle for twenty thousand a minute. Wow! They could uh, create the scenes, and these guys are good. I mean, when you look at some of the stuff on their website. Uh, you can go to C4D, uh, cinema4dtutorials.net and look at their visual stuff they do, man. They're incredible. You know, so uh, uh, I'm looking forward to working with them. But it's, we're talking about, you know, probably about next year. But we'll finally get the Battle of Los Angeles done, and it'll be done with uh, the justice that it deserves. You know, it's going to have actors in it and some of the key figures that are in ufology today, including Roger. I'm giving him a cameo appearance in there. Jordan will be in it. Nice. I'll probably have them play Illuminati or some shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's very fitting for uh, for Jordan Maxwell. They play the Illuminati. He should be like the leader of the Illuminati. That would be very fitting for Jordan. <laughs> well, it's funny. In in, uh, in Roger's new film, he plays a a uh, cardinal. He's dressed up in a, like a, you know, Catholic priest, whatever, Catholic cardinal. <laughs> it's too funny. 
But uh, that, that's I'll funny. I can, I can see a general or something. I can actually see Jordan Maxwell dressed as a cardinal. Actually, I can see that. Uh, he's hilarious, man. When he gets to know Jordan, <laughs> he's just too much, man. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's one of guy. my favorite people on the earth, man. One of my favorites. You know, he's a good. He's, he's he does his own radio show too, the Jordan Maxwell show. You guys uh, should check that out if you're listening in. Uh, really, really good guy, uh, and, and somebody who's been around for a long time in ufology. Now, you, you of course, got started, uh, you know, really to get known with the whole Roswell Rods phenomenon. Um, have you done any more work into that at all? And, and you know, have you followed up uh, with that phenomenon that you discovered? Oh, man, I've got some fantastic news, and this is a breaking. I'm breaking it actually. You're the first radio show. Oh, no, I take it back. Second radio show that um, I'm breaking so this news. I'm doing a movie. Okay. Called They Live in the Skies. Okay. They Live in the Skies. And you can see the movie trailer on my YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com forward slash Jose Escamilla in lowercase. Uh, but it's called They Live in the Skies. And the title comes from Trevor James Constable's first book back in the 1950s that he uh, published about these critters, these things that he was photographing in the skies using infrared film. Now, he's the first person to have filmed UFOs, rods, and huge amoeba-looking things um, using infrared film, which, you know, films only what's invisible to the naked eye. And uh, it was because of his research and studies that I have applied in all of my research on the rods and other UFOs because there is an invisibility factor in all that exists among us. And using infrared, we have now rod footage that um, um, is incredible. I mean, we, we have birds shot in infrared. We have insects. We have dragonflies. Those are the three primary things that, that skeptics and debunkers have said are rods, that they're just insects, birds, and dragonflies. Well, we have a surprise for them. You know, each creature has its uh, imprint. It has its own footprint, basically, in infrared. They, they don't change. They look the same all the time. Rods have their own imprint, too. So now we have a comparison of rods, birds, insects, and dragonflies, all in the same uh, area, but they're different. You can tell what a rod is now. And also... We have a gentleman, his name is Wilbur Allen. He's out of uh, Washington, D.C., uh, who's been filming rods using uh, these cameras, the same cameras that NASA uses on the International State, uh, Space Station to film, you know, the Earth and the space. And um, high, high resolution. We're talking like 203,500, 230,000 ISO you know, which is way up there in the, as far as uh, resolution is concerned. He's right. been filming rods in, in uh, below freezing weather over Washington, D.C. I mean, he just filmed some fantastic rod footage the other day, the day before yesterday, and they are in high altitudes, and you can tell that they are pretty pretty far up there, maybe 5,000, you know, 2,000 to 5,000 feet. And this camera, I mean, this camera setup that he has is just incredible. He's been filming squadrons of rods and other UFOs. I mean, he's been catching a lot of stuff over Washington, D.C. And uh, the guy that's been shooting the infrared stuff, his name is Sean Goodflow. Hmm. And I think you guys ought to have him on the show, too, him and Wilbur, because they, 
they both having a significant uh, impact in uh, the way we film UFOs now and, and probably in the near future. Now, are you saying that they're filming with infrared? Are they using some type of a night vision camera, or are they using a FLIR camera? Sean is using infrared and ultraviolet. Okay, so uh, so are you saying FLIR like thermal? Like uh, is anybody using the thermal cameras? Do these rods give off a thermal signature as well as infrared? I haven't seen any thermal imaging of rods yet, but I'm sure that uh, it's somebody's doing it out there. Um, we do have a rod shot at 200 frames per second using the RED camera. Have you heard of the RED cam? Oh, That's yeah, the, yeah, Sony, yeah. the Sony RED camera, sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. RED, uh, and it was shot by a RED Elite camera, and it was uh, 4K, high resolution, man, and super slow motion. This rod flies through the scene. They're shooting a music video. And this rod flies through the sea, and you can see the details, man. It's really incredible, you know. I'm I can imagine that seeing that on, on. I can imagine seeing that on a red. Oh my goodness, that should be really clear. Oh, it's it's incredible. I mean, the guy wanted to sell me the footage for twenty thousand dollars. I don't believe you know, him. That's how, <laughs> that's that's how fantastic it is. And I go, dude, I just want to license it for my little movie, man. <laughs> you know, twenty thousand, I could do two movies. Jesus, try me. <laughs> So, uh, Let's double my budget. What do you uh, mean, twenty thousand? <laughs> I know, man. That's twenty thousand dollars. I could do wonders with that, man. Jesus, tiny. <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm bidding on it. You know, I'll probably wind up paying him, you know, five hundred or a thousand dollars. But That's a big uh, it's okay. You know, it's worth it. It's worth it because the footage is impeccable. I mean, it's clear, man. Then we have one more shot uh, of a rod shot at two thousand frames per second, twenty-four p, no interlacing, so that eliminates insects altogether. Right. And this is with a uh, wingsuit jumper over in the U.K. Uh, Red Bull is the owner of this footage. And what it is, the wingsuit jumper is falling from a, uh, a mountain top, and the camera's down here below. And you can see him moving closer as he's free-falling at 140 miles per hour. And he barely moves, man, at 140 miles per hour, and then a rod flies right through faster than anything. I mean, he just zips through real fast, but... When you go in, in uh, frame by frame, you can see the undulations of the of the uh, membranes of the rod. They go from front to back, from back to front, as it zips through the scene real fast. So that's another uh, good uh, uh, piece of evidence that we have. Then we have some incredible underwater footage taken of rods. They're in squadrons underwater, and you can tell these are not fish. These are rods. And so... This film, They Live in the Skies, which I'm honoring Trevor James Constable. He's going to be in it, too. He had a stroke a couple of years ago, but um, I'm going to have him star in this, too, with us. And uh, I'm, um, I'm naming it in honor of Trevor James Constable because he's the man that discovered that these things live in the skies, basically, you know? Hey, so, here's um, a question for you about the rods real quick. Yeah. Uh, are they? Do you think they're a solid object like they're solid creatures or some kind of a jelly-like creature because if they do when they swim in the water do they make a ripple in the water at all or is it just they, they go right through and there's no effect on the water okay uh i have footage of them taken by national geographic and uh you can see a white rod in the sky and then it hits the water uh -huh. and then it leaves a bubble it hits a, it hits and it doesn't decelerate it accelerates underwater wow it goes okay. faster and then it leaves bubble trails, sort of like somebody's shooting bullets into the water. Mm. And this is in the ocean. So, um, and they seem to be, I don't know, man, some kind of a gelatinous material, possibly. Like a jelly know, material, they're right? Very, uh, yeah. They're resilient, man. They're very strong in, in context, you know, context as far as its body is concerned. Because, like I said, the ocean 
you know, the ocean, anybody does a belly flop, man, you're going to splatter your guts all over the place, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, very, it's a very dense uh, object that you're going into the ocean. These things use the ocean just like they use the sky. They just swim right in effortlessly, and they accelerate. They don't stop, slow down or anything. They just zip, and they're swimming underwater. We have various shots of them underwater, and they're swimming just as fast underwater as they do in the sky. Now, what camera's uh, filming that, new one, That was a 35-millimeter film camera. Oh, okay. All 24 right. frames. And uh, the new footage that we have of rods in the, uh, underwater is by a guy named Eli Martinez, and he was uh, he's one of these guys that goes, he's a sky uh, skin diver, and what they do is they rescue sharks, okay? Uh, a lot of sharks get caught in the nets, and they get fishermen hooks in them, and, you know, the fishermen just cut the line and leave the shark to suffer with that hook in its mouth, you know? So what these guys do is there's a team of them, I think about eight people, eight or nine, and they go on, you know, in the ocean uh, off the coast of Florida, a Barbados area, and they go in and remove the hooks from these sharks so they don't suffer, you know? which is a humane thing to do, but then you're dealing with sharks, man. You know, and there's great whites in there and tiger sharks and everything else. But these guys, uh, they were filming, and the guy was using, I believe he was using the GoPro camera. You know, have you heard yeah. of the GoPro? They're like of, yeah, three or $400. Come underwater, clean, broadcast quality, you know, and yep. he's panning over to the right following these sharks, and zip, a rod just zips through the scene. And when you go in slow motion, frame by frame, you can see it's a rod. There's no fins on it except for the membrane that is across. And he said he didn't see it when he was filming. He said he only saw it in the editing. And he says, look, he says, I've been in water. I've seen all types of fish. He says, this is something really different. He says, there's nothing that I've ever seen that is this quick and this fast. And then he says, what's top it off is not only did I catch a real good close-up of this thing, but he says, later on, we're under this big... Um, um, buoy, you know, that's in the ocean there. And they're they're kind of just hanging there with the sharks and these rods, there's about six of them in a squadron. They just zip through the scene super fast. You don't see them until you see them in frame by frame. And they're about a foot, maybe two feet long a piece. So this is more strong evidence that supports, you know, the fact. But, and plus, the high-speed photography, the high-speed video footage and film footage, that eliminates insects totally. Altogether, mm. you know. So Actually, some of the footage that you shot of the base jumpers. Uh, so I'm sorry to cut you off, but some of the footage you shot of the base jumpers, uh, to me, I think would eliminate uh, bugs or anything like that uh, that high up there. I mean, yeah, there could be bugs up there, but the way they maneuver around the base jumpers, I mean, it was it was just uh, not impossible. Well, uh, one of the things that I'm going to have in this movie is footage of the base jumping uh, at the Cave of the Swallows that I didn't release yet. Ah. Okay. And. Um, you can see the bird, the swallows coming out. You know, every morning, about 8.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, millions of swallows come out of this cave, which is like 1,600 feet down. And they come out in a vortex, like a tornado. It's amazing just to see the birds coming out. Now, birds eat insects, okay? So the insects disappear when the birds come out. But there's rods flying through the procession of birds coming out of the cave. There's rods, three-footers, man, flying right through the, you know, the, the vortex of birds. Right. Super fast. That, that and, brings um, me to the question, are they solid or are they jelly-like or can they move through objects? Uh, is that possible they can move through objects? I'm addressing all these all these uh, questions. Uh, are they interdimensional? Are they from, are they alien-made? Are they man-made? 
you know, probes. I mean, I've had CIA people, Navy intelligence people tell me that they are probes made by military intelligence, you know, to keep a tab on things. But I don't believe them. These things, they traverse not only the, uh, the air and the, and the water, but they're also in space. We have footage of them taken by the International Space Station and the shuttle, and these are, in, these are rods, man, and they're huge. And they're, you can see them coming into Earth, coming out of the Earth, and going into deep space. We also have photographs of them taken on Mars, in the Mars atmosphere. So That's interesting. I haven't heard whatever. that before. Rods on Mars also? So when did that start to become uh, discovered? This is about uh, six or seven years ago. You know, NASA sent the probes up to Mars, and here's these photos coming back, and there's rods. I mean, clear, you know? And um, Okay, i got to ask I one don't question then. Do these things qualify as UFOs? I'm question. sorry? i got to ask a question. Do these things qualify as UFOs, or is this in cryptozoology or both? I would say they are unidentified flying objects. Whether they're alive or, um, you know, mechanical is unknown. But uh, they seem to behave like they are a life form, an unidentified flying life form of some kind, because they do have life uh, cycles in the water. They do carry on in the water. And I, I have footage of one coming out of Long Island, the ocean, about a mile away from where the camera was set up, and you can clearly see it, man. When you zoom in, you can see the water break as this huge rod. It must be about six foot, maybe seven foot long. This huge rod just comes out of the water, and it breaks water. Okay? And this is the ocean. So you know doggone well this thing uh, was traveling at a high velocity, and it had mass. So that's another thing. It's like we don't know what they're made of. Um and what, what are cases, the chances of trying to catch one? I mean, it's impossible, I would think, right, to try to catch one of these things? Yeah, how do you catch something you can hardly see? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you can, you, you can see them with the naked eye, you know. Once you know that they exist and you acknowledge it, you'll start seeing them, you know. Uh, I had a guy, oh, man, I met this guy in uh, Laughlin, Nevada, you know, a few years back. He said, hey, man, next time you go to the Cave of the Swallows, I want to go there. And he says, I'm going to bring rifle with me. My, he had a, like a, you know, M16 or I don't know what kind of rifle he said he had. And I said, well, first of all, you're going to catch heck, you know, trying to bring that thing across to Mexico. He says, ah, man, I'm, I got contacts. I've done it before. I go, oh, okay, you know. I said, but, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't want to. Shoot at something. You, how are you going to shoot at something you can barely see? I mean, if, even if you use a scope, these things are so blinding fast, you're not going to be able to shoot one. And I said, and plus, you don't want to make one of these angry. <laughs> if you yeah. if you accidentally do shoot one, you don't know their behave. You don't know their uh, how it's going to behave. You don't know their temperament, man. I definitely wouldn't want anything super fast like that chasing me down the street, dude. You know. <laughs> That, so, uh, speaking of which, you know, they are, as you say, they seem to be intelligently controlled or they can seem to be living creatures. Have you had any that in any way interacted with you, like to acknowledge that you were recording it and somehow and played for the camera a little bit or, or played up to, to, you know, visually what you were doing? I've had a rod fly right by me and my partner, Sasia in Santa Monica, we were uh, we just eating breakfast at a restaurant. We were walking to her car. It was about nine in the morning, and uh, 
we both saw this was the first time she'd ever seen a rod with a naked eye. I was used to it, but I saw this rod. We both saw it coming from above the telephone poles, and it came. And we were on the sidewalk. It came right down at us and passed right next to her right arm. Okay, she was to my right, and just just zipped by. Made no sound. We didn't hear any whiskey noise or anything, man. It was just zip right by. And she and I looked at each other, and she goes, did you see that? And I said the same thing. And uh, I, I said, congratulations, Saskia. You just saw your first rod, man. And she freaked. She wasn't scared. She was just elated that she got to see a rod with her own with a naked eye. With a naked eye, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and it's uh, when you see something like that, I mean, I've seen them all the time here. I'm, I'm here in Mission Hills. I'll be walking the dog and uh, my little pet, and uh, I've seen him fly, you know, by the telephone lines, and I go, dang, I wish I had a camera. You know, you always wish you had a camera at the time because they're very random events, but once you see one, the rule of thumb from experience is that there will be more. Okay, here's a quick question. Now, what are the odds of actually some of the stuff that actually gets splattered on a windshield might be a rod when you're driving down the highway? Mm, Good question. Well, we had that happen. Um, it was a winter. It was in December, I believe, or November in, in Denver, Colorado. It was me and James Peters and uh, Kenneth Swartz and Ty Simpson. We were in the car. We were going to go see the new X-Files uh, pilot, okay, for the new season. Mm. And this was in 1990, what year was it? 1998, I believe. Yeah, well, it was 1998. Years. Yeah, and uh, it was snowing, and this object hit my I was in the front seat on the passenger side. This object hit right the windshield. Boom. And it was dark, a dark object, and it slid off the side of the windshield and fell to the ground. We were driving at 30 miles an hour. That's how, you know, blizzardy it was. It was cold. And then uh, I said, hey, pull over. He said, no, nah, man, there's cops back there. And, you know, I said, all right. So we get over to the nightclub where they're showing the uh, premiere of the new X-Files. And as soon as we get out of the car, we look at the windshield to see if there was any blood and feathers or bat goo. You know, it could have been a bat. <laughs> you know? And uh, there was no trace of anything ever hitting the windshield. Okay. And um, he didn't do the windshield wipers either just to keep... You know, keep that area intact. So, what he did is he blew, he breathed on it. You know, he breathed on the windshield, and it created a fog on the windshield. Right. And then you could see there was a splatter. Okay. But it was it was water. It was a splatter that was clear as water. There were no feathers, like I said. There was no blood. You know, no uh, eyeballs or anything like that. So it it was something. We don't know if it was a rod, but could have been. You know, it could it could be a creature that's that's almost all based on water. Like maybe his whole physiology is based on water. Well, I I was uh, flown into Oregon to Portland, Oregon, Channel Four News Department flew me in because they had this was in 1990, 90, uh I think this was in nineteen ninety seven. Thing. Anyway, they flew me into um, Portland, Oregon, TV station, Channel 4, and I'm trying to get a hold of the cameraman that has the footage. But there was a football game, a local you know, high school football game, and there was a referee running. There was a guy that was a, with the TV news filming the, the touchdown, the final touchdown or whatever, the final play. And 
the, the quarterback tosses the ball, the, you know, the, the, the guy catches it, and he's running, and there's a referee running right next to him. Suddenly you see a green rod zip through the scene, and it hits the referee on, the side, on his right side. The referee reacts but keeps on going. The rod turned into water and hit the field. It turned into water or, or splash, just splash down. Huh. So I'm trying to get my hands on that footage, and it was um, it was the first time I've ever seen a rod hit someone. But it was That's definitely a rod. Yeah, and it was a night shot. It was a rod. It was green, and there were lights on everywhere. So you know, it was like um, you know, football field, man. It hit the referee. He flitched, you know, and and then uh, he kept on going, and the rod turned into a water splash. So. So we Maybe could be dealing literally with we could be dealing with living water beings like like an actual water based being that is 100 percent water based. Well, it's More almost like a, like a jellyfish or something, you know that right. type of gelatinous type of uh, creatures. But man, they have the they have the uh, ability to traverse both the ocean and the sky. Here's another thing too: at the cave of the swallows, there was a, a guy jumping down, and. Uh, this rod, okay, you know terminal velocity, okay? That's the, the, the peak that a human body drops at free fall, right? Right, yep. So speed is anywhere from 98 to 140 miles, depending on the weight of the guy. But right. this space jumper is falling down, and the, the, the Fox TV cameras are following him. The whole background of the cave is a, a motion blur, okay? But he's in clear focus because the, the camera's focused on him. Suddenly, a, rod, a white rod flies in from camera left, goes underneath his stomach, makes a U-turn, and then goes back where it comes from. Okay? Now, the key thing about that maneuver is that the rod and the guy are both falling at the same speed in a free fall, falling downward. But the rod has enough, to have enough velocity to where it is able to fly underneath Still going downward, but flying underneath, that makes a U-turn and goes back where it comes from. All in a binder of about five frames. And it's in clear focus. The rod is in clear focus. I'm going to have this in the movie, too. And, you know, the maneuverability of these things is incredible. They're just awesome things, whatever they are. How long they've been here, where they come from, we don't know. But they are here. Now, what do we find out that they're, you know, organisms that are, you know, part of this planet and have always been here and not, not extraterrestrial whatsoever uh you know we do the, we do find new life all the time in the jungle and 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 whatnot so this could just be some new find uh that in itself though would be pretty incredible i think yeah but he's saying that he's got footage of them on mars as well too and as well as going from our atmosphere out into that's space. interesting yeah that's it well maybe they could traverse uh space and uh go from planet to planet they could just fly everywhere from the oceans to the skies to, to space and Make their way to Mars. You know, and I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I can't say they're aliens because I can't prove that. All, right. I, all I can do is say it's an unknown life form of some kind that has these abilities. <clears throat> you know, so, um, I mean, the, the, photo, the photography from Mars seems to suggest there's rod activity out there. You know, and when you see uh, the photos that I'm going to have in the movie uh, on, on Mars... You know, NASA took this. I didn't. I had no nobody up there filming for insects and stuff, dude. 
You know, NASA shot this stuff, and there it is. There's a rod, plain as day. Same type of rod that we have here on Earth. So um, I don't make this stuff up. All I do is I present the evidence as it presents itself, you know. And now that we have high-speed photography of these things, that clinches the deal that these are not insects. They are something else that's here. You know, let me ask you about that because, you know, over the years, you've, you've received your fair share of criticism uh, from the nasty debunkers, as our good friend Stanton Friedman would call them. Uh, you know, let's talk about that a little bit because you have, like I said, uh, had some criticism about the, the footage and stuff, and uh, this would definitely be a way to validate you know, your, your whole case from the very beginning. Yeah, I'm, I'm being vindicated by the rods showing up, getting filmed with high-speed cameras. Right. Because that you cannot discount. You cannot dismiss it as an insect when it's, uh, you know, the, the big thing that the uh, debunkers and the critics have said, well, it's just interlacing of uh, frames, you know, the video artifacts. Okay, well, that's not happening here because this is 24P. These are single frames. Right. They're not interlaced. And this is high-speed photography. That means you can stop a bullet in these high speeds. And that's what we have, a, a rod shot at a high speed that when you play it back in 30 frames per second, it's super slow motion, and it's undeniable. And even in super slow motion, the rod is flying faster than anything in the scene. <laughs> so, that, Which explains why we don't normally just see them flying around everywhere, and they really could be flying around anywhere. I mean, we could have rods flying around in your room right now. You would never know it at that speed. And right? here's another thing, too. We have footage of them in squadrons. Hmm, interesting. I mean, yeah, amazing now, stuff. Uh, this movie, this movie. Yeah, in, in, in your research over the years, have you had anybody like celebrity-wise come forward saying that they've seen these things? Also, I've had a lot of people that. Uh, well, Andrew Dice Clay. No kidding. Right? I met him at the comedy store. No kidding. I met him at the comedy store back in two thousand two, two thousand three, and uh, it was just I was there with one of my girlfriends and. Uh, an investor and stuff, and, you know, we, we just went to the comedy store just to get a laugh and everything else, and it turns out Andrew was there just, you know, rehearsing some new scenes, some new jokes and stuff, and um, I had to go up to him. I mean, he was in the back parking lot smoking a cigarette after he got done with the show, and me and Shauna, Shauna Gilliberti, we went over there, and she was a hot blonde dude, you know, <laughs> Shauna's a hot babe. <laughs> so we went over there, and, and he goes, um... He goes, hey, I've seen you somewhere, you know, and I go, yeah, I'm the rod man, you know, I'm the guy that discovered the rods. He goes, dude, the rods, and then his, his, uh, um, I guess, um, sidekick or, uh, okay. huh? A publicist? His friend. No, it was one of the comedian guys that hangs out with him in his, in his uh, videos and stuff, but, uh, ah, okay. um, uh, he, you know that exchange where he goes, you're here, I hear you, you're here, yeah. I hear you, <laughs> you know, it was the guy that says, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> so, uh. They were there, and they go. They'd seen rods, man, in New York. Okay, and so uh, I gave Andrew. Uh, I mean, this is Andrew Dice Clay, guys. You know, I'm a fan. I gave him my uh, my card, and he says, "Rod, man, I'll stay in touch, man. Call me sometime." He gave me his card, you know. So, you know, uh, that's the first celebrity that's that's approached me that's seen rods. There was uh, God. There's been others, man. You know, um, it, it, it's just. You don't know who knows you in this business. You don't know who has heard of you. I mean, I was in Las Vegas this past July, and here's another video you can watch on uh, 
on, on my YouTube channel. It's called Jose Escamilla versus Monster Quest. Okay, I was in Las Vegas. <laughs> are, you, are you guys are you guys into the UFC, MMA? Somewhat. No. Oh, I think on, Alan here's. I think Alan's a little bit more into it than I am. Oh uh, right. no, uh, you win. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not now. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, no, I'm, no, a no. Jeff, I'm a UFC fan. You know, I, I enjoy the fights. I've always been into fights. You know, the uh, boxing matches and especially cage fighting. Forget it, man. It's the best. Anyway, I went down there to, to meet with Joe Rogan because I wanted to be on Joe Rogan. Ah, show. yeah. Okay. Good guy. Tell him about the uh, the rod footage that we just allocated. You know, the infrared stuff and then the underwater footage. And uh, I get on there, and I, I, you know, they had a question and answer thing, and um, he's there. There's about 500 people there gathered, and Joe was talking to people. So he says, "Hey, how you doing?" And I said, "Hi, my name is Jose Escamilla. I'm a world-renowned filmmaker and UFO investigator." He goes, "Oh, you're the Rods guy. I mean, right there, man. You knew me, okay?" And he went into this whole diatribe. He says, "Well, let me explain something." He says, "Uh, you know, I, I watch this stuff, and you, you can watch the video. It'll crack you up, man." Uh, he goes into the whole thing about how he saw the rods and he says, man, this is incredible stuff and out of this world and blah, blah, blah. He says, then I saw Monster Quest and I found out that rods are nothing but misfilmed insects. And, you know, and that destroyed me, man, because, you know, he ridiculed me in front of 500 people, you know, and I go, man, You should have no. corrected him. Well, <laughs> I didn't have a chance because, you know, Joe Rogan is close. Said, I'll tell you what you got to do. And what I was telling I was saying, I was going to say, what you got to do is you got to see the sweaters. He says, no, I'll tell you what you got to do, Jose, is do mushrooms. <laughs> I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's. He's the UFC narrator and everything else. He's cool. But I also, also meet Bruce Buffer, who's the head announcer at all these uh, UFC fights. Right, yep. And uh, I said, Bruce, it's time, you know, for you to take a photo with me. I said, hey, man, I, I do U movies about UFOs. He goes, man, I believe in that. He says, I've seen three. So I go, wow. wow, Bruce Buffer, man. You know who this guy is, right, Bruce Buffer? Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Yeah, his brother is the guy that says, let's get ready to rumble. Well, Bruce yep. Buffer's thing is like, it's time, you know. Anyway, Bruce is going to do, possibly do, the narration to my Rod's video. To, don't you find, uh, that, don't you find it amazing how many people uh, have seen, and we were talking to Jesse Marceau earlier in the first hour, and uh, you know he, we sh he shared a couple of stories about how people just come forward now, and they're so much more open to talk about it. But don't you, don't you find it amazing how so many more people are just uh, you know willing to talk about it nowadays than compared to like 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Absolutely, man. And you know I think it's because of YouTube and Google videos and all yep. the video outlets that are out there. Plus, you know, back in the day, and I'm not talking during my era. I mean, I'm talking back in the 40s and 30s, especially the 40s and 50s. You know, our government, our White House, the Pentagon, they were vicious with people, man. If people reported a UFO or photographed it and then took it to the to the press, they would get ridiculed, man. You know, they would get uh, harassed. And some people actually got murdered. Yeah. They were taken out, okay? That's how bad it was in those days. But now we have, because of the camera technology and YouTube, and there's millions of people now photographing this stuff and filming it, you know, it's very difficult for them to take everyone out. So they're having to deal with it now. Now we have a total different perspective on things. And now we have cameras that I didn't have back in the early 90s. Now we have cameras that shoot high-speed photography, man, high-speed, you know, two to 5,000 frames per second, and they are cheap enough to where we can purchase them. Uh, and I plan to purchase it once I get the budget, you know, for, for this film. <clears throat> but what's great about it is I know where these things exist, okay? And I know where we can definitely get footage of them 
<clears throat> but this time I want to have I want to be totally prepared. I want to have a camera array. I want to have a FLIR camera, <clears throat> thermal imaging. I want to have uh, high speed cameras. I want to have stereo camera setups, and I want to have uh, infrared, ultraviolet. And this way, we'll have an array of cameras so that anything that flies through the scene will catch it with these varieties of cameras so that we can verify what we've captured. And, now, when, uh, you, when, when you say you know where they live, uh, do you know where you can find a, a, a mass population of rods just flying around, or uh, you just kind of are, have gotten good at figuring out when you can catch them and at what time of day and stuff? Okay, uh, definitely New Mexico. Roswell and Albuquerque, New Mexico, there's an overabundance of rod activity. Uh, huh. New Orleans, New Orleans, there's a lot of rod activity there. This, this is where this guy... Sean Gutro has been filming squadrons of these things in huh. infrared, broad daylight infrared. That's invisible. Okay, so there, there's an invisibility factor to these things. That's and interesting. Then, uh, that's interesting that Roswell plays a part in, uh, in in all this. Of course, Roswell rods, obviously. But uh, we had Jesse Marcel the third. You know, the whole Roswell incident. Uh, it's it's interesting how Roswell always plays a part in, in these kind of phenomenons. Well, what's amazing is that. Every president has visited Roswell. Yeah, that's another Joseph amazing Bush, thing. <laughs> Dick Cheney, I mean, yeah. uh, Nixon, Reagan, all of these presidents, what are they doing going to Roswell, 45,000 population? It's the armpit of the world, okay? And uh, what are these presidents doing going there, and what do, where do they go? So uh, in Roswell, there's an underground base, and ah, I okay. know there is because uh, one of my cousins used to work at a gas station there on the base, this was after the base moved. You know, it was no longer uh, a military complex, but they do have uh, uh, foreign pilots training there and everything else. But anyway, to make a long story short, we went down the runway because he used to replace light bulbs on these uh, canopies that are on, on, along the, uh, the tarmac, you know, of the runway so that planes can land. You've got to put the lights in there, you know. Well, he took me to a couple of these uh, canopy light things that he's – and he's – Popped open the cigarette, man, lit a cigarette. He says, check this out. He puts the cigarette to the canopy, and there's no light bulb fixture in there. It's just there, and it starts sucking the air of uh, the smoke in. So that tells me that these canopies are vents for something that's underground. I'm a firm believer that uh, Roswell has an underground base, and it's probably connected to all the other underground tunneling systems all over the USA. Yeah, well, that I was going to say that there's a good possibility that it is connected to a lot of other uh, installations we have underground. I, I would not be surprised at all or shocked by that, uh, especially you know if, if something did crash at Roswell and there is something around that area, the Nevada, Roswell, New Mexico, Arizona area. Look, in, in those three states, we've had Nevada, right? We have all the testing stuff that happens in Nevada, Arizona, Travis Walton, New Mexico, the Roswell crash. It seems to happen in those three, you know, that, that region of the country. Uh, for some strange reason, there's always been a kind of phenomenal activity uh, in that area. Do you think that maybe the rods uh, somehow got here because of the Roswell crash? I think the aliens were going fishing for the rods. <laughs> in they, were going, Roswell. They, were going, they were going sky fishing. Yuck, yuck, there you yuck. go. <laughs> That's as good an answer as I've uh, heard on the subject. So, uh, I'll, I'll an answer. I don't think so because uh, we have rock carvings. Uh, from a thousand years ago in Argentina right. that depicts something that looked like rods. Mm. And here's another yeah, curious thing. When, uh, the, the first conference I did for the UFO Congress in Mesquite, Nevada in 1994, 
there was an archaeologist there that was presenting Aboriginal cave art. Uh, he was an archaeologist that was investigating ancient uh, tribes and aliens, you know, because of the cave drawings of UFO-looking things. And, you know, um, he saw my Raj presentation, and I didn't get to see, uh, hang out to see his uh, presentation, which was a couple hours after mine. Because I had my girlfriend and her kid. It was just a pain, you know. But um, people told me, they said, Jose, you should have seen this guy's presentation. He showed a slide of uh, Aboriginal cave art from, I think it was like 30,000 years ago, okay? And he says he had, they, uh, whoever did this Aboriginal wall carving uh, painted stick figures of people, okay? And that must have been the tribe. And there were like six or seven stick figures of people, and they uh, their arms were extended. And in the sky were about four spears. This is what the uh, archaeologist thought. He says, I thought these things were spears. He says, the thing is, he says, uh, I thought these stick figures were people throwing spears in the, in the sky. Okay? And um, he said, the curious thing about the spears is that it, it, they had feathers along both sides of the spear all the way from the front to the back. Okay? And he said... I just didn't understand the aerodynamics of a spear with that many feathers. You know, it would, you would think it would hinder it, you know. So he had a spear built, you know, with feathers along, and he tossed it, and it flew okay, but it wasn't that stable. Then he saw my rod stuff, and he says, now I know what they were pointing at. He says, they weren't throwing spears. They were pointing. We have only a couple more minutes left. Uh, Jose, uh, give the audience a rundown real quick of how they can find your work and stuff and uh, the way they can link up to you, uh, especially your main websites and stuff. Okay, my main website is, uh, there's four letters, T as in Tom, B as in Bob, L as in Larry, N as in Nancy. That's T B L N. And then films, F-I-L-M-S, tdlnfilms.com. You can go there and see my movies. Uh, you can rent them for, on pay-per-view for $1.99. It all goes to the cause of making movies. This is how I raise money to make my films. And also, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Jose Escamilla, and that's all lowercase in one word. And you can see a lot of my trailers and some other rod stuff up there and lots of goodies. Very cool. Um, we're definitely going to have you back on uh, real soon. I'd love talking to you, man. We're, we're all out of time, though, uh, on Skywatchers Radio. We only have a little bit under a minute left. Jose, thank you so much for being here, my friend. And uh, everybody listening in, this is Jose Escamilla. Please check out his website. Check out the movie. When it's done, Jose is going to be back, and we'll definitely promote it uh, a lot here. And Dr. Roger Lear will have him on pretty soon also. Can't wait to Absolutely. speak to that gentleman. Uh, Jose, my friend, an honor and a pleasure, and it's all mine having you on the show here. Thank you so much All for being right. here, Thank sir. you, sir. Thank Ladies you, and gentlemen, man. that was Jose Escamilla. We're going to be back next week with Paul Dale Roberts, and you want to have uh, Dennis Crenshaw drop by with the Hollow Earth Insider special report. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Please look for that on Tuesday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself. Uh, absolutely. Also, this Saturday, check out uh, Future Theater right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and Capricorn Radio, both excellent shows starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. Bookmark that excellent radio right here on the dark matter radio network until then for keith roland our webmaster for my sidekick here alan for our guest <laughs> jesse and uh jose i am angel espino and this is Skywatchers radio 
We'll be back next week. Talk to you guys soon. Have a good night, all. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.